You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Hey crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today let's talk about fear management, a little bit about Vikings, and a little bit about brain porn. Now, fear management is a uh, mighty encompassing subject, and uh, it, it obviously can hit us in the self-protection area. I mean, well, us, and I say all of us, because we all want to protect ourselves. And uh, I'm not talking we're living in a state of anxiety and paranoia all the time. I'm just talking about if something ever comes down, we will definitely be scared. We're going to have to deal with that. There's no way around it. None of us are going to be fearless. We will be fearful, but it's what we do with it. And this uh, could also apply to many of us who might have a little bit of things of, oh, I'm trepidatious about this and or that. We all have those things. So you might find some food for thought here. Now, we got to keep that in mind. Why do we all experience fear? Well, we are conscious organisms and we are subject to fear. And that's a good thing. For the most part, in our ancestral past, a well-attuned fear mechanism was a useful survival benefit. Notice we are talking about a properly adjusted fear calibrator inside our skulls and not what we would all recognize as skittishness or overreacting to stimuli, particularly non-harmful stimuli. And this is the kind of thing what we're going to be talking about here, how you can kind of, wherever you are on that uh, that meter, you can dial down that skittishness. You just gotta, it's like anything else. Everything is amenable to uh, a training. We can, you know, drop this thing down. Some see the goal of being fearless as wise, but in practice it is neither attainable or desirable. I mean, just study after study, or anecdote after anecdote, or from soldiers, what have you. Fearlessness is not the key. It's uh, having fearful, uh, fear helps us kind of calibrate properly, put the training in, and go in wisely and getting it done. What it is is being conquered by that fear and just doing stasis and just avoiding completely. Some of us, I'm afraid of spiders and will never, you know, get near a spider in their life. No go. I'm afraid of water. Won't get near no go that, that fear actually stays part of you manifest even when you're not near water there's a little bit of soul crushingness in there so uh, fear is our emotion detector it is often our first alarm system that tells us that danger is on the horizon and it is time to take steps to avoid or to prepare and rally resources to meet and thwart detect a stimuli Fear in this context does not mean paralyzed with an action, all right? It means the fearful emotive energy is being redirected or utilized as energy to engage what provoked the fearful reaction. Now, that's wise. If we see the wisdom of this evolved mechanism, we understand that seeking to be fearless is not ideal, but rather seeking to tame or better yet harness our fear so that we use that energy to suit our needs and purposes. So we said if we ever have to actually use any of this uh, uh, self-protection that most of us uh, train for, and God forbid we ever do, we want to take that fearful energy and use it. And we're not trying to kibosh it. That will turn us basically supercharge that point. So that's a great thing. It allows to be super attentive. Let's look to a Viking anecdote that casts a perspective on how to tame slash harness our fears. It is arguably one of the purest and most easily accessible forms of fear management I've come across and echoes what would be referred to as cognitive behavioral therapy over 500 years later. Uh, 
It's from the novel Leaders of the Dead by, by Michael Crichton. Yes, he did it as a work of fiction, but to keep in mind, too, he's a veteran researcher and he assembled uh, lots of, uh, you know, extant resources uh, to put this together. So I think it holds water here. And this, uh, that novel fleshes out the legend of Beowulf, and we find this advice uttered by the Viking Herger to a man who is afraid is what to come. Quote, each person bears a fear which is special to him. One man fears a close space, another man fears drowning, each laughs at the other and calls him stupid. Thus, fear is only a preference to be counted the same as the preference for one woman or another or mutton for pig or cabbage for onion uh, we say fear is fear unquote and that's nice saying that fears are coming down to being preferences and if we say because we realize you know some people are afraid of heights some people eh, not me man i'm okay with them well i'm afraid to swim and then other guy says i swim like a fish so we realize that fear is not a universal thing. It's a thing that we've come up with preferences. And if we realize that these are preferences, that means we have preferred, we have made choices about these things. And we can change those choices and change our narrative. I would actually urge you to go listen to uh, the uh, uh, Cheyenne Cups, the uh, storytelling, how you can reroute and rewire. We're talking about uh, whether it be Vikings or the, the Plains Indian tribes. Way ahead of the game for cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's mighty useful stuff. Anyway, this uh, saying it's fear is preference, that, that bit of observation casts uh, the large distinction that fear is not a universal quality. There is nothing universally frightening about heights. If there were, then we would have no rock climbers in the world, no base jumpers, no pilots, no hang gliders, no steeplejacks, and on and on and on and on. Being fearful regarding heights simply expresses a particular preference we have decided to attach our identities to. It's similar to, uh, everyone knows how much I love tacos, man. Well, you got to keep in mind, not everyone one loves tacos, but preference makes it so, okay? And it doesn't make it it's anything pathological. You just have a preference for it, and any good preference is fine. A negative preference can be trained and worked around. It should not hold us back. Now, it might be easy and appealing to look to for some to lock themselves into their preferences for this or that fear as it becomes the excuse for avoidance behavior. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't, you get you, it's your get out of jail free card. It allows you not have to do uh, many things. Now, uh, I don't get that mindset, and I'm not really going to argue with someone on that mindset, but I presume if you're listening to such a thing here, you don't like that feeling of fear. You don't want to be the person uh, who, who uh, limits themselves in life. Uh, so if you're one of the people who think, I don't want to be fearful, then uh, that's who I'm talking to. The understanding that heights or spiders or caves or talking to strangers does not automatically equal fear, but rather fear is fear. This can be a mighty liberating first step in the journey out of a fearful preference. Now, some resort to scientism to claim fears are set and locked and you can't do a damn thing about it. Notice the word I use is scientism and not science. Scientism is using the language and tools and garments of science to dress up unproven claims. Often people would just throw about their, uh, um, yeah, I don't like it when it gets tight in here. That's why I don't go caving with you. I have claustrophobia. We hear that word and we all stand back and go, oh, this is a real thing. No, it's just a word. Just because there's a word doesn't mean this is a real. There's also words for, you know, uh, you know fairies and leopards. And uh, we don't mistake these things for being uh, logical and uh, concrete entities. They're just uh, human language is incredibly expressive and poetic and inventive. We've got words for everything, whether they exist or not. Scientism is using the language and tools and garments of science to dress up unproven claims. Uh, this scientism is often dressed up as what philosopher Nassim Taleb calls brain porn, where tools such as MRIs and other such assays are used to so-called prove a case. 
Now, let's look at one such instance to see if we can kind of flip this on its head. And the inspiring, and i got to be honest, nether-puckering Oscar-winning documentary, Free Solo. We follow noted rock climber Alex Honnold as he prepares himself to free solo, which is climb without safety gear of any kind, the 3,000-foot-high El Capitan Wall in Yosemite National Park. Now, Honnold's achievements are astonishing and inspiring. I highly recommend taking a look at that uh, documentary. His is a life of commitment. At one point in the film, we see him visit folks at a laboratory where they use an MRI to see if his uh, physical brain shows any structures or anomalies that explain how he does what he does so fearlessly. Now, apparently the researchers never stopped to ponder, perhaps just as they themselves put in academic time in the pursuit of neuroscience and found that was once was difficult in their area is now easy, well, maybe another might do the same in alternate domains such as rock climbing in the case of Honnold. And that's not how they're reasoning, which seems like a huge logical error right there. Anyway, Honnold was put in the uh, MRI and he has shown so-called stressful images and the premise is that his brain will be monitored in response to these uh, images. The Upshot, Honnold's amygdala was basically flatlined during the image test, leading the researchers to presume that he didn't feel fear. Okay, well, this is a prime example of brain porn, seemingly concrete and so-called evidence using sciency-sounding vocabulary and a great big machines and tools and folks in lab coats to explain, in this case, that he can do what he does because he is different from us. See, that gets us off the, the hook there. I would climb, too, but, you know, his brain's just driven, and if it weren't for that, man, I'd be awesome, too. Now, I agree Honnold is different from us. Now, you watch that documentary, he's starting from a wee young man. He puts the time in, the training. He put thought into this effort. He devotes his life to getting this down. His daily journals are filled with precise step-by-step foot and hand placements. He consciously chooses not to dwell on what is obvious falling. As a matter of fact, we see Honnold outside of the laboratory fearful fearful more than a few times. So he's not fearless. We see him start the climb, which is the whole purpose of this film, only to call it off shortly into it because he is fearful. We see him express anxiety about holding a friend's infant. That's fear. We see him worry about his ability to perform this or that task. Now, for a man with a flat-lined amygdala who feels no fear, well, he sure seems mighty human to me. What this brain porn researchers uh, do not and cannot measure is the fact that as uh, someone who confronts real challenges in the day-to-day, he may be a bit blunted to being stressed by mere photographs, right? That's what, uh, why we want to face as many things as we can, because this will allow us to endure as much things better. It's just like what training is for, and, you know, lifting weights or improving uh, some you know, cardio, you know, your max O2. You can handle stressors better. And so perhaps him free climbing and putting all this work in, he trusts himself more, but he's still worried about holding an infant. And even he, on certain days, says, this is not the day to climb. I can tell. Now, we, in our day-to-day, may not do much of anything uh, the, uh, the, in the world that may be squeamish at such things. We may overreact to photos and express umbrage to a Facebook post. But I wager folks who work both bomb squads or free solo or solo, solo sail across oceans might find such low stressors. Well, they might be a bit flatlined to that, might a bit baffled as how can you get worked up or even interested in such mundanities. In other words, Alex Honnold is not fearless. He is human. But his training, 
his experience, his outlook has allowed him to be a little less than impressed with mundane, uncomfy photos. And that's part of the reason that we should all probably want to get out there and try a bit more and push harder. And no matter, we don't have to do, we don't have to freak uh, solo uh, El Capitan, but we can do more. I think we can all admit that. Now, with that prior Viking anecdote in mind, it should be manna to our own self to realize that our fears are merely tastes or preferences that we have touted as real and that we can tackle them one small climb at a time, just as Alex Holland does with his own. We're seeing the culmination where he's at. He started out very young doing bite-sized things that were easy, and then he continued on. We're seeing the epitome, the apex of what he's done. Uh, to get to that point, and then we go, that's amazing, his brain's different than ours. No, no, his soul is different because he committed and he did it. Now, with the uh, fuzzy, imprecise, and out-and-out-wrong scientism conclusion that, well, you know, fear is concrete, uh, this or that, blah de blah blah we should be liberated from a false hypothesis grounded in nothing. With these small climbs to whatever our own preferences, our own you know, fears that we go, yeah, I like this, or this is my identity, we may wind up uh, with a savor for the flavor we once avoided. Let's end with another Viking note, this one from Hoger. Quote, if you f- have the fear of high places, then this day you shall overcome it, and so you shall have faced a great challenge, and you shall be adjudged a hero. Unquote. Now, who would rather not be adjudged a hero than someone who cultivates a palate for finicky fearfulness their whole lives? That, man, that's not fun, right? Anyway, we'll end that fearfulness there. Uh, I can't say enough. you got to hack into that and push it a bit, just like any other training conditioning thing. Whatever it is out there that you know that's sitting in your soul that you think, I avoid these sorts of things, it might be not a bad idea to run at it. Maybe sometimes in bite-sized chunks and sometimes just, you know, full face on and, and see what the hell happens. Likely, you're going to be better for it. Your soul will be better for it. Your spirit will be better for it. I mean, that's the Alex Honnold way, the Viking way, the, the, the Cheyenne warrior way. There may be so many warriors uh, in and out of history. Well, uh, there you go, crew. Take care of yourself. If you like this, like, support, share the podcast, all that noise. You know how that works. If you'd like uh, physical taxes for old school rough and tumble combat, viciously verified and uh, historically accurate, take a look at ExtremeSelfProtection.com or have a look at our blog, Indigenous Ability. Uh, I'll put the links in there if you want to go have a look there for thousands upon thousands of uh, uh, historical and scientific ramblings. And, of course, if you want the physical expressions of these things to actually do them, well, then go over to ExtremeSelfProtection.com. Hell, enjoy the, can, uh, consider joining the Black Box Brotherhood where uh, we send you a monthly training template so you could actually get in there and do this stuff and not just listen to these dulcet tones alone. Take care of yourself, crew. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, ExtremeSelfProtection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like music. 